You're listening to another episode of Dan's Den Podcast. My name's Dan Belanger. I'm really excited to share this one with you today. I have my guest, Matt Morocco, longtime friend, brother, joining us today. We have a, a wide variety of things we're talking about today. We start talking a little bit about AI, the um, new chat GPT. We start talking a little bit about DNA and evolution, breeze over some epigenetics. Uh, we discussed what motivation means to us, depression, and some of our experiences with that. Autonomic nervous system, sympathetic nervous system, and some of the kind of connections between breathing exercises that we know can kind of improve some of, um, some of our stress levels and kind of set us on the right track. We'll touch on alternative medications and maybe even how some breathing techniques can be incorporated into an overall health and wellness program. Thanks again for joining us today. This is Dan's Den Podcast. Enjoy. Please subscribe, rate, and share. February 25th, 2023. Brandy in the house. <laughs> Matt Morocco's on the other mic. Welcome, Maddie. Oh, I like how Brandy sounds. She sounds like the Booth Boys in the background. Like you can hear her. <laughs> She's got that good laugh, too. Like, that's yeah. perfect. <laughs> can we have her in the background of so, all the cast? Yeah, sometimes it's going to make us feel like we're actually funny when we're yeah. just being retarded. Yeah. <laughs> good emotional support. <laughs> oh, this is, this is exciting. It would be fun trying to get this chat GPT thing going up here just to kind of see how that goes. Next thing you know, that's going to be the fucking new podcast host and we're just gonna be kind of sitting on the side Matt, you were telling us earlier that there's already a podcast where there's an ai like creating content for them and they're just doing what it says yep, what, yep. Is it, what does that say about us creatively that we have to just let it do its thing and then i can just ride on the coattails of that i mean part of the whole dynamic of the show is one of them is an established comedian the other one's more like a tech guy so the tech guy is adamant about like this of course this technology this this can be just as funny as you and of course the veteran comedian is how dare you even yeah imply that yeah, this dude. stupid machine but then week after week this machine is pumping out hilarious stuff yeah i'd imagine that's the same thing of a new comic coming up they're like oh you're gonna you gotta like respect the, the craft and the culture like you don't belong here there has to be a barrier of entry why wouldn't that be the natural response from a comedian who does this his profession? Like, yeah. oh, you don't want to find out you can just be replaced by a computer. Yeah. But never mind, like, when it actually starts performing and it shows up and it it works. And that's what's happening. They're, they're kind of deep in. They're, like, 40-plus episodes in. It's becoming wow. undeniable that, like, this thing could write a sitcom. This thing could <laughs> eventually write a show, you know? And it's the learning aspect, too. It's, it's, it's learning. Just... It, it, it's the same skill that humans have where they can adjust, review, look back, improve, like that. The fact that it has that ever self-improving mechanism built in. Yeah, which is isn't wild. it crazy that like collectively, like we've figured out how to make a code that says improve and incorporate and learn. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know anything about coding, but like I, that's gotta be so crazy to like, know that there's a way to hit some keystrokes and create this program that learns something about the DNA molecules is like well yeah so it's the the basically the initial structure but the it's what the it, written instructions yeah yeah it's the, code, the expression dude. is where the variations yeah. come in yeah, yeah yeah right so that was built in to the DNA itself is that no matter where you go you have the code to adjust to that environment and adapt but just 
keep surviving and keep reproducing. That's like the only code. And then where, where is, if that lands on the moon, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same outcome as obviously here with a protected atmosphere and just being this distance from the sun and all that shit. So like that stuff could be everywhere in the universe, but it's just like it happened to take this particular physical form here. That tiny little individual in its like base form might have a chance of adapting and finding a way to survive if it, you know what I mean, if it can basically evolve to yeah. those climates, to those, you know. But once it's already established, it then can't be shifted into another major change extreme from said environment. Well, there's some that debate that. Run this experiment anywhere else and you're going to get in the ballpark of maybe not us, maybe a different... Well, you're going to get... You're going to see a similarity through, you know what I mean, the patterns. Whoever comes out on top, that could change. If, the, if it's the monkeys, if it's the fucking dolphins, you know, that might vary who comes to the top of the food chain and then because of that have the opportunity to evolve into thinking about tools and shit like that because they're not worried about getting eaten. There is a there is a probability that that life, if it were to be created elsewhere, would be almost a duplicate. Like we might run into advanced civilization that was us. And like, you know, maybe the only difference, the difference we're seeing is that they evolved to the next phase, which we haven't gotten to yet. So from that perspective, it's like, oh, this is a completely different life form. They go on their AncestryTree.com and <laughs> there's fucking Dan just a couple branches down the road. Like, you know, it's possible. Right. Yes. And But you have to factor in the, the path of least resistance because if the path of least resistance is the same path each time, it will lead to, you know what I mean, duplicates of like... The simplest, quickest solution is for this monkey to develop a thumb and then use, which would be easier to get to where life, for whatever reason, is striving towards than the dinosaur with the little arms, like to evolve that into the thing where it can even hold and utilize a tool to build something. The path of least resistance is the monkey's going to do it first. You know what yeah, I mean? So or, even though there's an infinite possibility, yeah. you know, that may be the context that we end up finding out that it's it's almost almost the same, not exact. You know, I don't mean... Uh, You're talking about the demands of the environment, right? So all of that time while dinosaurs and lizards are evolving, like there's no need for them to have thumbs because they have giant jaws and they can mm -hmm. just eat stuff. They didn't... There was nothing around the world that they needed to like pick up. They were at the top. Yeah. Yeah. So like for forever, for however long, as long as the food stays in a spot where your jaws can get to it, you're going to well, survive. Right. That's right. Because I kind of had it backwards. They So humans evolved into being at the top yeah. of the food chain. They weren't. And the dinosaurs are an example of someone who was already there. And look what they did with it. Yeah. Well, and fuel our cars now. For real. And it's, it's crazy because that's part of the human story is that um, a, you know, a comet impact, which is kind of seems like that's set, like that's pretty standard 65 million years ago. Like we kind of know the, the, the impact site, that bottom portion of the, the Mexico Peninsula. Yeah. Yeah. If that didn't happen, there wouldn't have been an opportunity for these lower life forms to start moving up because like they just get eaten by these goddamn dinosaurs all the time. So you clear that out, make it so it's almost like a fresh slate. Who knows, like there's however long until the atmosphere is in a place where things can start coming out again. But from what it sounds like is these, uh, some kind of little, what are the, uh, shrew, right? As the little like <laughs> yeah. mammal. 
<laughs> yeah. That, that's our oldest common ancestor. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not surprising when we know yeah, that. Isn't that wild? Yeah, we know that it's not surprising when we use mice and that type for studies and research just because, like, there's so many aspects from that mammal that were conserved through humans where we have the same similar cardiovascular systems and dopamine responses, so we use them. But if, like, if these dinosaurs are still around, that animal, the, the, the shrew, wouldn't have had an opportunity to thrive in its environment. So Right. It would be forced to just, it would just be prey. Yeah. It would just be prey. I had gotten it wrong at first, and I was kind of stating that we were at the top of the food chain, which allowed us to, you know, we could focus on other things. And at a certain point, that was... That that was there is a truth there. Yeah, that to like be, maintain it. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. So, but that's not what got us there. No, the evolution helped get us. I mean, we weren't already there. The evolution helped get us to the top of said food chain. So, with that being said, if the dinosaurs were still around and that shrew was still its purpose was still the survival, the same purpose that humans had. Well, I guess you could argue that they wouldn't. If the dinosaurs were around, they wouldn't have the means to. Even though if they're fighting right. for, they needed that wiped out. To, for them to be able to, you know, move up in the company, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. My, my favorite part of that whole thing in natural selection is like the theory we're talking about, right? Um, random mutation in genes is written in. So that's a that's a, comes back to the programming part that blows my mind is that within this this code, there's a part for the, the fact that in the environment causes random mutations in the genes that that it's almost just like a constant shaking of the dice and throwing it out to see what happens see how it goes. So, so these keep happening Isn't all the wild? time <laughs> and that you know you look at this from a, 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 an animal's offspring it or i mean a giraffe is probably my favorite because like we think about how do they get these fucking long ass necks was it just <laughs> one animal just kept stretching their neck out <laughs> like that that i've heard that this example used i know it's silly but it's more like, say, some kind of horses had a random mutation where one of their offspring had a slightly longer neck. And that for, for that lifespan, it was able to survive better because the food was a little bit higher than the rest couldn't get. Mm. Then the, the, the genes that go into the next offspring have that, that it was a benefit, a little longer right. neck. And yeah. because the environment makes them... So uh, they can survive better in that environment that just keeps going on forever. Well, let me speak for myself. That'll make it easier. I know even for myself with my understanding of evolution, I often forget how exactly it works. Yeah, it's because super it's complicated. Easy, well, it's easy to it's easy to, to kind of start thinking that the way the mechanism works is organism identifies something it needs and then creates this mo- mm. mutation but it's not that it's a fucking crapshoot yeah. these random mutations just happen sometimes periodically fail might lead to wiping out the species or yeah. might branch off the species into this whole new thing yeah. you know and i almost got to remind myself cuz that you forget how incredible the process is when you realize it's a fucking roll of the dice you yeah. know and it, it's radiation from the sun is what happens. Like we know that this breaks down the connection in some DNA, like, and then that causes random mutations. In in humans, most of the time, um, we there, there's this redundancy system for DNA repair, and it fixes that stuff. But mm-hmm. every now and then, there's one random mutation that is good for the environment, and then that sticks. And you no, know, with that, another interesting kind of caveat off of that is the the 
um, like you were talking about earlier, like the gene expression. So we know that mm-hmm. there's this thing called epigenetics where genes in our body that can get turned on or turned off by demands from the environment. So we have this kind of like underlying system for adaptability. Most of the time we don't need them, but when the time comes, we can activate these things and it's a benefit. Um, And that's basically the definition of epigenetics. It's like genetics that are present that that need to be triggered by some sort of external influence or, you know. um, And and now we know we can affect the, the next generation down from changes now they've done this study with with muscle mass and aerobic endurance research showing that like you know if if the parents have a certain level of aerobic capacity a a vo2 max would be the level that they would measure for that they they pass that down in into their offspring and they're going to have a a better a more likely chance of maintaining a better cardiovascular fitness just from one generation that's wild you know you hear that people you need to go out there and express those genes I don't know. Yeah, so we're, we're getting into like biology that none of us really understand. I, I'm just super fascinated. I don't about think we're that going stuff. too deep. I think we're still pretty surface level and yeah, but and it, it's super interesting. These, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good implication because you, you know bringing yourself to something that's very topical and something that I'm sure is going to be the theme of of Dan's Den, you know, for many episodes to come of like self improvement and stuff like that. So you know, you got on the topics of talking about epigenetics and you know how that's passed down yeah and like that you know that's a quick smooth segue into you know of or highlighting the importance of like hey not only do you, are you expressing ge- healthy genes let's say if you express those healthy genes of working out whatever it is you know you're not only doing it for yourself it's going to you you're triggering you know these epigenetics that will be passed on you know what i mean for the next generations to come that's exactly it man what's better motivating than that because yeah that's a an that's excellent. huge who thinks of that who, yeah who thinks of health in that context right like, except like oh to be alive for my kids i want to you know what i mean yeah right but never in to that extent so that's right. a very interesting point yeah i think that the whole thing reminds me of like talking about epigenetics and stuff like with we don't have to necessarily understand the mechanics to get the the message is that we have way more control over how this stuff unfolds our body and our mind state than I think a lot of us have been brought up to believe. I think in certain things. I think with certain things. But I think in the overall purpose of whatever it is we're doing, I think there's, you know, it's it's no different than in some situations, yes. But I, I personally believe there's like this overall programming that we're all unaware of that we're following. Yeah. So that, that could I mean? be true, but then even on the, the smaller scale, you, you can change your physiology in your body, whether or not there's this big plan, like even... Yes. Yeah. So, well, so that differentiates it. Too. Yeah, no, But it just sure. could be misconstrued as, you know what I mean? Like, free, it's all free will and it's all in your... Like, we're not talking that. Yeah. You're talking a very specific thing yeah. in terms of no, what you have control over. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that stuff, but that's that's the thing is like, I've looked at it like this before too, where we think it's an all or nothing thing of mm-hmm. like, we either have full control of everything or we're just a slave to like, it's all written type thing. Yes. No. Th- those are great, interesting things, but we, we live in a gray zone between there. Everything's nuanced. So, I mean, and, and you've ex- we've experienced this in our own lives with just, just talking about f- physiology in our bodies. like. We, we know that you spend a couple months in the gym, you're going to see changes physically. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel stronger mm-hmm. and you're, you're going to look a different way. Mm-hmm. It, it changes all of that stuff. So that like th- that's just a small little piece. 
it doesn't necessarily mean that this is um, like the best thing or the right thing to do. But that's just an example of like, here's an aspect of life that many times we like to outsource to, um, oh, well, I just don't have the genetics to be an athlete or mm. um, I, I don't, I'm not a motivated person or this type of stuff. I like talking about motivation because I've, I've re- reimagined how, what that means to me over the years in the sense that like motivation comes after the thing happens. So we'll stick to exercise. I've hear this all the time. I just don't feel motivated to exercise. So I, I want to challenge people to say like, okay, well, what does motivation to you mean? Like, does that mean like one day you're just going to wake up and, and want to be this <laughs> amazing athlete? Well, here's an interesting thing too. Like, you know, my unique my unique perspective on motivation or in regards of like all the stuff I just went through in terms of just mood and you know things like that um, and it tied in with motivation and when uh, how do we should, I should clarify give some little context yeah he's a step, step back tell us kind of a summary of <clears throat> so just having so having you know personal problems with depression things like that so you know struggles with depression to the point where needing medication or even to the point where needing hospitalization and you know outside interventions and things like that so because of that experience i can say something interesting i could add something interesting because you're bringing up the topic of motivation Mm -hmm. and i want to add to that because and you ask a good question you know i know from i can say for myself that in terms of motivation i before these medications that I was on that, you know, inhibit, well, inhibit the uptake of serotonin and you know other endorphins, I had less motivation for even basic things. And just because of that change, so not, you know, forget the therapy or the actual work that needs to be done. Just with that basic change, my motivation changed. So with that being said, should that be considered, should that be factored in when we're discussing other people's motivation or more specifically, others who are struggling with their motivation and, and things like that? Without it being an this. excuse, without it being a cop-out. Yeah. I don't want, I myself don't want to use it and I don't want to see someone else just say, well, you know, I'm just a depressed, sad person or I don't have the dopamine, so, you know, it is what it is and that's it. The whole point, I think, of both of us talking about this is the opposite, is, is, is you know, trying to inspire the opposite of that. But to, to get there, I want to make sure, like, you know, we factor in that part, too. I mean, the latest studies now, too, show that, because it remember, it used to be a chemical imbalance, and it's not that. It's still showing that, you know, these inhibitors work. There's still something wrong happening where either the uptake is more than the average person, why we don't know. You know what I mean? The, Some of that the is causation. Right. And the causation is under more scrutiny. We kind of thought we were closer to figuring out and we kind of, the general public known it as a simplification of a chemical imbalance. But we know it's not so cut and dry. It's not, it's not quite what's going on. Yeah. It almost seems like that's what's going on because of the medis- medicines that work. But there's just a correlation there. We know it's not the causation. Yeah. And I think that that's so, part of the story that was kind of run away with from those studies is I want to take a step back too and not say that like this isn't something that um, it's not an anti-medication thing or that like everybody should be able to do all this stuff all the time. Yeah, that that's not what we're putting out here. You lose people immediately when yeah. you go. No, because like I, I'm aware as anybody that in in many cases medication is a good thing and it should be used exactly like you said to 
get to a certain level where now I feel kind of more normal and, and now I, f- I feel okay about myself to start taking these steps. I think the, if the education is lacking along the way where um, some, some people might look at this stuff as like, once I take these meds, my life is going to be great and I don't have to make any other changes. Obviously, like that, that's an overreach. Like I don't think many people go into it thinking that, but we know, and I, I mean, I've experienced bouts of depression myself, not clinically diagnosed, but to the points where the extremes are, you don't, there's just not much you can do to make me want to get up and do things. And mm. you almost lean into the fact that I'm feeling so bad and it's just like, whatever, like I, I don't, you, you almost just kind of do it to spite yourself. Like I feel so bad that I want to make that part of me that feels bad, like suffer for making the other part of me like in mm. pain or something. Mm. But it's, it's scary though with the human mind or the human psyche is so, that dial for motivation is so susceptible to being altered, whether it's up or, or down, down being, you know, in most cases down being the negative because we're talking motivation in a positive way, motivated to do something healthy, do something for yourself, whatever. So we're talking motivation in a positive sense. And it's so important for survival, it's, it's kind of surprising how fragile it is. Like it's a it's an industry, self help books, and you know improve, self improvement and all this stuff. It's all things that are working on this topic because it's not a natural, easy thing to get up and go get it. You know, yeah. there's not a bunch of David Goggins running around out there. <laughs> They're not born that way, or well, maybe he is the one exception. Well, but to no, the rule, but he's a great example. But like his story is is the same. Is that like? He his story is he was a piece of shit. He was three hundred pounds. <laughs> really? Oh, that's right. That's right. No, like yeah. He he's the prime example of like you can take reins, but it's gonna suck sometimes. You're gonna have to do all this thing. So for for the listeners who aren't familiar, David Goggins is a you know not everybody's cup of tea, but a great example mm-hmm. of like there's no other way around it than you have to put in some work and with the intention that this is for a cause and that this is the only way to get better. Resistance is the only thing that makes us stronger. We were talking earlier about genes and stuff. If the environment isn't demanding for the the organism, these other traits don't come out and you stay stagnant. But back to the self-help industry, like that, there's the um, tendency towards negative thinking is probably built in and more natural for us. Our day-to-day minds are leaning towards finding the negative and we know that that's evolutionary survival well yeah and there's some there's some very simple experiments that uh, uh, showcase that such as if you were to get any of the average person you get a grid of faces and you lay out all everyone's smiling and say that this could be a grid of like 10 by 10 so what would that be a hundred photos of faces and everyone's smiling and one of them is making like a sad or an angry or an aggressive face and like 85 90% of the time your your eyes are instantly drawn the first if you like say then vocalize who's the first person that drew your attention your eyes are naturally drawn to that negative yeah it's a survival mechanism to to you know what i mean right what's what could hurt me you know what i mean i need to be aware of what's bad what am i doing wrong what could hurt you know that's exactly so it's it. our, our natural inclination. yeah for for a hundred thousand years however long we we had to 
be super discriminant to the environment because the the one that didn't pay attention to every possible thing got eaten by a tiger or got yes. taken over by the next village or right. you know something like that where um, nowadays we still have those same mechanisms built in we're still seeking the negative but we don't have the same external threats mm -hmm. so we've turned that on ourselves on mm -hmm. our own psyche mm -hmm. our own thoughts are the intrusive things that are now the fucking predators except that there's no visual thing to run from yeah so our fight or flight stays on but it it's fighting against our goddamn self um, over time that's the type of shit that we, we know can also affect our whole nervous system in the sense if you look at I, I want to just take a second to talk about the autonomic nervous system two mm -hmm. branches sympathetic nervous system is your, your basic fight and flight mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. a, a, a get up and move type thing and then parasympathetic, parasympathetic is your rest and digest basic we know over time that if we can if we keep ourselves in a psychologically anxiety fueled place all the time that the nervous system tilts to stay towards the sympathetic all of the time to keep us on high alert mm. some of the downstream effects from that is that this like when the sympathetic the sympathetic nervous system is activated it sends out signals for cortisol to kind of stimulate all of this different stuff which again is necessary but overproduction of constant it's, yeah it's necessary in the sense that you have to context. fight or yes. flight or yes. exercise yes. but if we're sitting down or we're sitting at work or we're sitting in traffic these these chemicals cascading through our body okay for five minutes not bad but we can stay in these low level states all the time um, when I talk about the seesaw, that doesn't mean that it's always one side or the other. Mm -hmm. The body's goal is to stay balanced, homeostasis. homeostasis. I was is just going to ask, what's that word? That's yeah. <laughs> Sounds like right in the middle. An insult. <laughs> so so that, that's the perfect place where we're at, like, you know, a normal respiration rate. Everything feels okay. For, obviously, it wouldn't, we wouldn't be in a place where we could stay there all the time. But to take a step uh -huh. back again, like, we, our thoughts and behaviors and, and the way that we appraise what's going on in our head and body also affects how these chemicals go. We, yeah, I was just circling around to the fact that like we can stay in these fight or flight states all the time and it causes downstream effects that take time to build up and it's not something that you can necessarily just turn off. So there, there's breathing exercises that we know work for this stuff because our breath rate is one of the most direct ways to the nervous system and our heart rate and it's so interesting because you think about it like breathing is one of the only functions and systems in our body that is like the link between unconscious and conscious because it's happening all the time luckily we don't have to worry about it all the time but it's one of the only probably the only thing that we can think of that you can take conscious control of at any second mm. You can, or your heart rate's not so easy. Right, it's, yeah. You can. But through the breath, though. Yeah, inadvertently. So exactly. it's a second Directly. secondary effect. But it's interesting because like you, even you can pay attention now. Like We all have a normal breathing rate, and especially when we're in a conversation like this, you don't think about it. But when you slow down and you can like really lengthen your inhale and, and feel what it's like to expand the ribs and your diaphragm, and then even playing around with like controlling the exhale and, and lengthening that a little bit. The, we've, we've, the research is very clear that like you can do five minutes of a certain breathing exercise and it, it changes your physiology. Like we can measure chemicals that change. We know that the nervous system activity goes down. With long-term practices, three to six months minimum, they've shown that 
you can change different connections in your brain and the structure of your brain changes certain areas of the brain like you know the gray matter like exactly yeah yeah yeah. connections get either strengthened or can diminish so have you heard about this new thing i think it's i have a feeling it's just niche and it's not going to be a good thing um a friend of mine tried it it's a the new breathing technique where you basically induce hyperventilation hyperventilation have you heard of this they like they pre-warn you that like your hands may get tingly you may get all the things like that means you're about to black out that means your brain doesn't have uh, an adamant amount of oxygen and it's constricting the uh art well the veins i believe it is in your extremities to get more blood in the core where it's needed because the oxygen supply is extremely thin. This is now becoming a trend, a thing where people, I had a friend who paid to sign on to a Zoom class and have this hyper hyperventilation guided class. And she threw up, she got so sick, she almost blacked out. And that's exactly what happened. She came very close to making herself pass out. Yeah, That's exactly what happened, and then from it, when she stopped and when she came back, she was nauseous and uh, started. Yeah, mm-hmm. so she came back mm-hmm. with all of that and fifty dollars poorer. Yep, yep, had to pay for it. So I'm not no yeah. Refund. Off the top, I don't want to like you know clown that whole thing because there's definitely benefits to certain breathing protocols and exercises, but I always get a little kind of just skeptical when I hear about like. Um, sign up for this online breathing thing and well, then like it's gonna go in this segues like you know what I mean I hope I hope for you Dan that you're you know through this you're gonna be able to reach people whether it's one person or millions of people um, and I hope that I think it'd be a great opportunity um, I think again there's an opportunity to segue into this I think it's a great opportunity because this is an example of what we're talking about of where this new age and alternative medicines are growing and everyone's promoting them and everyone's talking about them, but they're also misleading or, you know, that they're taking these good alternative medicines and they're going to this extreme that now even potentially could hurt people. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I do hope in your success, I hope you find success because I hope in it, you know, you can implement some, cl- start clarifying that. Let's start pushing back. Because it's all just alternative medicine. And if you push against it, you're big farmer or something like along those lines. And now, alternative medicine, the pendulum has swung too far in a different direction. And no one knows what the truth is. And you could get lost. Yeah. Like, if you just discover about this hyperventilation thing, well, you could easily write off breathing therapy altogether. Exactly, yeah. And that's, now there's a danger. So that poses a danger for this misinformation. That's huge. And hopefully, man. we can utilize this, try to clarify some of those things for whoever may... That's exactly it, man. We're, we're definitely going to spend a lot of time shit talking on this podcast, but there's going to be um, opportunities for that. And the, the breathing thing is specifically interesting to me. Like I, I spent a year and a half like studying that specifically for my my, my uh, master's program. Um, that last semester, dude, we had to put together a project, and I titled it "The Physiological and Psychological Effects of Yogic Breathing," which I you know I had to put the yogic breathing just as like a to classify that this isn't just like there there's structure and and philosophy and science behind it. Mm. The the my intro to that whole project was that in these times where there's just way too much healthcare costs and 
accessibility resources to, to get access to medical care. So I, I started doing all this research about breathing exercises in the hope that like, yo, you don't need equipment. You don't need to go anywhere. Mm. All you need is a place where you can sit down for a few minutes. And then I went on to you know discuss a lot of the research and pros and cons and what it can and can't do. But just like anything else in health and fitness, there's um, information might come out about, hey, these new alternatives. And then there's gonna be a business aspect where people wanna jump on the new trend. Yeah. And then this is just like, yo, join my Zoom call. Yeah. We're gonna do this crazy breathing thing. Yeah. And then I wouldn't recommend that for somebody who's just starting. Like, everybody's got their own approach to this stuff. So that person you were talking about didn't have a great experience. Hopefully, they can take a step back and maybe even just do like a free YouTube search there's plenty of shit on yeah. there and she found it like so it's it's disheartening to like if you know the story of how she found it she found it other under the motivation of she discovered just like you discovered the benefits of the you know the positive sides of of breathing exercise stuff and like it, you know it'd probably be something beneficial too as we touched on earlier even this topic things like this they become tribalized and they become black or white yeah. so you're either on team breathing or if you challenge that in any way well then you're against it and you know maybe we'll i think we'll both i think we try in our normal life and hopefully through the recordings too we'll try to maintain that that nuance of yeah these things are good in this context and maybe not so good in this situation you know yeah we don't want to pick a team we want to try to avoid i uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to uh, avoid that with these various things that we're yeah. going to touch across to, to get some truth. I, hope, yeah. I hope this this these recordings gather bring us to further truth. That'd be great. That's what we're digging out, man. But you're not so far on the team breathing that when I tell you about hyperventilation, you're not like, well, I don't care. I'm putting my fingers in my ear. It's oh, yeah. team breathing. How dare you challenge? You know, yeah. that's what we we want to avoid. Let's because everything is is just it's a team. I mean, it's it's in our it's. it's Part of the human condition unfortunately but yeah and even when we're talking fucking supplements maybe when we're talking the liver king like there's friends have like debates over there you know what i mean because people pick a side i would hope that like you know going back to the breathing thing that somebody somebody's organizing some kind of zoom call or something like i would expect like the first session would even just be like we got to talk a little bit about breathing and what this is because it's such a simple thing like people that aren't familiar it's almost like you're gonna sit down and tell me how to breathe. I've been, I'm, I'm alive. I know how to do that. On to the mm -hmm. next thing. But when we learn that, like, there, there are patterns of breathing, and that can change from our posture. Um, the musculature in our body affects this stuff. There's muscles around the ribs, and even in your upper, um, your shoulders and upper chest that also help lift your, your, your body during breathing to create space down here. Mm. But then we forget about. The, the nasal breathing versus mouth breathing. Too much mouth breathing kind of keeps our, our oxygen in this upper chest level. Mm. Respiration and gas exchange happens Deep. in the lower one-third of, yeah. of our lungs. Yeah. That's an evolutionary benefit because it gives our system a way to filter out toxins before it automatically goes into the bloodstream. So this whole, that's why upper respiratory infections are so common is because this upper section is built for the germs and stuff and it gets that stuff out. Rather than when you get the lower stuff, that's where like pneumonia and all this other stuff mm. comes in. Because I'm, a, of, I'm a nighttime mouth breather. I close my eyes, I go to sleep and I breathe in my mouth. That's some so like that, caveman. And then <laughs> that affects um, levels of sleep in, in a, a negative way where we don't 
we don't get into the restorative sleep. And they've mm-hmm. talked about like you can get medical tape and just put it I've on your thing. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. It takes a little bit of time. Like I don't know about that. All of this <laughs> stuff starts with practicing certain breathing techniques in a comfortable environment when you're just relaxing. Because I talk to some of the athletes I've worked with or officer candidates that I work with in, in the sports medicine clinic about breathing but a lot of us don't think about it until we're already running and and tired or exercising and gasping for breath it's too late to start practicing this stuff then you you can't just do this when you're already in this Mm -hmm. high alert state Mm -hmm. so it's getting used to okay what is nasal breathing what's what's breathing with your diaphragm i hear about this belly breathing but there's actually techniques and there's Mm. actually a way to breathe optimally for you and this isn't to say that this is across the board for everybody but we know that there's certain mechanics and breathing techniques that are optimal. So yeah. the chest breathing, the mouth breathing, we do this pretty commonly when we're like in this environment now, we're speaking, so obviously mm-hmm. we're not keeping our mouth closed and breathing. Well, I am now because you're saying it. Like, I'm so <laughs> hyper aware of right. where I'm, what so hole I'm breathing out of right now. That's where it starts. <laughs> that's where it starts is the awareness of that because you don't even realize, we just develop these habits. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan's Den Podcast. We're going to have subsequent episodes talking more specifically about breathing and different breathing exercises that we can incorporate. Um, For now, if you enjoy any of the stuff you're listening to, please share, subscribe, follow, all of that. And we're looking forward to having you back for future episodes. Thanks again for listening.